The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Thank you for listening to this Podcast One production. Are you looking for a place to bet March Madness and enter a million-dollar bracket contest with guaranteed prizes? Well, then go to BetDSI.com to get all your March Madness action in one spot. Use BetDSI's live betting platform where you can watch all the madness via streaming and even bet all the madness games throughout the entire game until the final whistle. If you're looking to add excitement to the tournament games, make BetDSI your tournament betting partner. And you get one free million-dollar contest entry just for signing up by using the promo code TMADNESS. Remember, BetDSI has been paying winners for 20 years. It's a top-rated site on betting review sites, and you can use your sports knowledge to make some extra cash this week. BetDSI is a very user-friendly interface and mobile site, and it has the fastest payouts in the industry. Simply play, win, and get paid. BetDSI offers betting options for everything. You can bet on March Madness, NFL, NBA, NHL, UFC, and all other major sports, politics, reality TV, esports, virtually everything. So, new members get a 100% bonus match using the promo code TMADNESS. That's more than double your money to start winning today. Once again, go to BetDSI.com and use promo code TMADNESS to get this limited-time 100% bonus offer to make some extra cash betting the madness this March. It's only a game until you bet DSI. This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best-selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Taffer. All right, here we go, number 40. Episode 40 of my No Excuses podcast. I'm John Taffer, and thanks for being here again this week. Got another good one. You know, in this time of relationships and, and even the scandal that's going on with the college admissions, I wanted to have a great guest this week that could talk about the crises of families and what happens when, when families get divorced and go through the kind of struggles that families are going through right now with this whole college admission scandal. So I have Laura Wasser, who is the most famous divorce attorney in the country, here with us this week. Laura has represented almost every major star. She has incredible stories of divorces, reconciliation in relationships. But this is an interesting family time, talking about the scandal and everything that's going on right now with regard to college admissions. So I want to thank my sponsors. And remind everybody, hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts or go to the podcastone.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. So I'll be back with Laura in a little while. We got audience callers. And let's start with the scandal. So, you know, when, when my daughter was young, 
if I felt that her school treated her unfairly, and there was a teacher who didn't like my daughter when she was a little girl, and I went into the school and I met with the principal and I called her out. And she didn't like that I called her out, but she became fair after that. I always protected my daughter to make certain that she was treated fairly. You know what I mean, Corey? No, I don't. I don't have a daughter. Well, one day I hope you will. But, you know, I always wanted to protect her. I wanted to make certain that my daughter got a fair shake always. Right, yeah. And that nobody would prevent her from getting that opportunity. And then it was up to her to turn it into whatever she could. And uh, uh, But not these families. So this scandal, I want to talk it through for a minute because it's an amazing story. So, you know... Corey, I can give $5 million to a university. They'll build the Taffer Building for continued podcast studies. Oh, yeah, of course. And now the Taffer family is, you know, ingratiated to the university, and now the university wants Taffer family kids around. So they're more inclined to accept my, my family, even though they might not have the grades. And that's a public way of getting kids into schools that existed for a long, long time. Right. And just go to any major university. You'll see the names on the buildings. So. The fact of the matter is, you know, families do this because universities were good to them, so they donate the money, they build the building, and then they want the university legacy to continue with the family, so the university keeps a family member there because it continues the legacy multi-generational. That's the basic logic of that. It isn't that offensive uh, uh, if you consider that, you know, this is a multi-generational relationship, and it's existed for a long time. Parents have been doing that for quite a while. You know, the real wealthy families have been doing that to make certain that their kids and their families have long-term relationships with these universities. But man, all that stuff changed completely. So think about this. A bunch of families hire a gentleman by the name of Singer, who is a college admissions consultant. Hmm. And he tells you that, you know, you can do a couple of different things. You know, one, parents paid between $15,000 and $75,000 for higher test scores. So Singer would have the parents sign a learning disability waiver for their children. With a learning disability waiver, the kids now have more time to do the test and they get to do it without supervision. Ah, okay. Now, someone else would take the test for them. Or a person in on the scheme would serve as the proctor for the test and guide the students to the right answer. Or someone would review it and correct the answers after the test was taken. So either the proctor told you what to say, they let you take it home so you could fill it out right, or somebody literally changed the results afterwards. Every car comes with a chair of stories. How about that ding in your bumper when you nervously picked up your first date? Or the luxury package you got after a big promotion? Or how about the mileage you saved by riding your bike all summer long? While you can't put a price tag on your stories, now with True Car, you can at least find out what your car's worth is when it's time to sell or trade it in. Just go to TrueCar, simply enter your license plate number, and watch how your car's details pop up. Then just answer a few questions like navigation, moonroof, and watch as they bump up your value. High mileage, you already know it was going to cost you, but now you know how much it dings your wallet so you can plan ahead. And once you're finished, you can get a true cash offer sent in minutes, which you can take to a local certified dealer to cash out or trade in. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. True cash offer, not available in all areas. 
it's they say that many students were not aware that their answers could be changed or would be changed. So they're saying that the kids might not have known this, but the parents did because they wrote the checks and singers guys did because they changed all the scores. Okay, next. Now they turn around and say, okay, every university has scholarships for various sports. So they got university coaches and administrators to be paid to secure students because they played a particular sport. Only one problem, Corey. They never played the freaking sport. So imagine this. You're my son. I want to get you into school. So I pay somebody to change your SAT scores. That's the first thing I do. Sweet. Next, I got to make you a great baseball player. All right. So I find some pictures of guys in baseball uniforms. I Photoshop your face on it to include in your portfolio. So there's pictures of Corey as a baseball player. I take other pictures of Corey in the gym working out with the team. Oh, yeah. I put your stats in there because you're such a good baseball player. I put this whole package together. So now you're a great baseball player. There's the pictures of you, a handsome dude in his uniform. He's a great player. Look at his stats. This guy can throw the ball. I look at his SAT scores. SAT scores. This guy is great. Great SAT scores. He plays baseball. Whammo. You're not only getting in, you're getting in on a scholarship. Now, I can get that it's possible that the uh, kids might not have known that their parents changed the test scores. That's possible, right, Corey? Yeah. But let me ask you a question. If you were going on a baseball scholarship and you had never held a baseball in your life, would you freaking notice that? Yeah. So how do these kids not know? They know. Of course they know. So maybe they didn't know about the test scores. So let's pick this apart for a moment. Corey, if you go take your SAT scores and before you even start as your father, I'm hiring somebody to change your grades. I must think that you're a freaking idiot. Right. So let's start by understanding that every one of these parents thought their children were idiots. They thought their children were incapable of doing this. So this starts with the parents not even respecting their own children. Not even giving their own children the opportunity to succeed. So they robbed their children of their dignity when they even started this, didn't they? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, Corey, I don't trust you're going to pull this off, buddy. So I'm going to hire somebody to do it for you. And then don't tell anybody that you're an idiot that I hire somebody to do it for you. So that's step one. Wow. Step two, I'm now asking you to pose for photographs that are fraudulent. You're taking a picture with a baseball glove or a rowing oar or whatever the hell it is. You know what I'm doing. So now what I've done is I've pretty much as a parent told you that whatever you are, you're not good enough. You're not a good enough athlete. Your scores aren't good enough. You're not good enough for me. So I'm going to write a check and fix it for you because you blew it. That's what these parents are saying, isn't it? Yeah. No, those parents blew it because they didn't invest the time. They'd rather invest the money. So, so Yes. So now it's kept all under wraps. So now what happens is the coaches take the bribes. The kids get scholarships for sports they've never played. You know, one Yale soccer coach named Rudolph Meredith took $450,000 bribe for saving a spot for his daughter on, you ready? A soccer team. I mean, 450 grand for a soccer team. So here's what's going on. The singer guy has pleaded guilty. The universities are in, in a world of hurt right now with lawsuits flying everywhere. 
None of the students have been charged, which is interesting to me because they took the fraudulent photographs. And I'm guessing at some point, some of the children are going to have to be charged, particularly if they were over 18 years old and they were, played a part in submitting the fraud. Now, Laughlin's daughter, right, Olivia? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well, she's the big social media influencer. There's yep. a couple million followers on YouTube. You saw the video. She said she didn't even want to go to college. Her passion is YouTube. So imagine this. Her mother says, well, you're going to college even though you don't want to, and you're not good enough, so I'm going to set your grades, set you up with a rowing degree, a rowing score, and I'm going to send you to college. This girl doesn't even want to freaking go. <laughs> right. This is one lousy parent. I mean, this is about as bad as it gets. Now the daughter whose life was YouTube, and this is what she wanted to do. She's been blown off YouTube, and her sponsorship with Sephora is gone. The daughter's life is destroyed. How did the parents serve their child? How does a parent ever serve someone by causing them to be dishonest? Corey, I'm your boss. You work for me. I love you. You know that. Yeah. If I asked you to lie about yourself and commit fraud every day, uh, uh, first of all, I'm a lousy boss. But yeah. I'm not a very good friend either, either am no. I? So the parents are all facing charges. Uh, some of them are, are 75,000 versus 12 to 18 months in prison. Some of them are Jeez. facing 30 to 37 months in prison. Coaches are facing similar stays in, in prison. The sailing coach in Stanford was fired. The UCLA men's soccer coach was placed on leave. The Wake Forest women's volleyball coach and men's tennis coach at the University of Texas, all of them are fired or out on leave. It's crazy to me how deep this this whole thing goes. Oh, and then USC, of course, who faces many scandals in the past. USC is the dirtiest of them all. Four of their coaches are involved in this. So they have four different people taking bribes in the scheme from USC. And then the businesses are outrageous. One guy's been fired from a private equity firm. Another guy was fired from a school. Another guy was fired from a food and beverage packaging firm. So all of these parents are being fired from their jobs. They're being eliminated from their websites. Other clients, believe it or not, Singer's Company. How about this? Phil Mickelson, the golfer. Yeah. Hired Singer legitimately as a counselor to help his daughter get in college. Did nothing wrong. Completely cleared. His name is being run through the mud now. Wow. So innocent people are being put through the mud. Now a bunch of students just filed a half a billion dollar lawsuit uh, uh, um, against these parents who did this. And then you take a look. It's what's happened to these people. It's really pretty remarkable. So... One is a, one is a Gamal Abdelaziz, senior executive at a resort and casino operator. Gregory and Marcia Abbott, founder and chairman of a packaging company. Diane Blake, executive at a retail merchandising firm. Jane Buckingham, chief executive of a boutique marketing firm. Another guy by the name of Kaplan, a lawyer thrown out of his firm. Another guy, Joey Chen. Warehousing and related services thrown out of his form. How about Amy and Gregory Colburn, a physician? He's in trouble. The list goes on and on and on. So some of them are going to be disgraced in the New York Times and national publications, right, Corey? Uh, Of course. Particularly all the Hollywood celebrities are, are going to be shamed. Their children are going to be shamed. 
Possibly their grandchildren will be shamed over this because these videos and these things are going to be out there for years. They're going to spend hundreds of thousands, if not millions, on lawyers to defend themselves. They're going to have to pay fines. I mean, this is a complete freaking nightmare. And all because parents didn't have the confidence in their children to let their children be themselves. (laughs) Pretty powerful, huh? And now you think about the final stages. How about the students who didn't get to go to college because of this? You know, there's a really powerful lesson in life, and that is that, you know what? If you live a bullshit life, you wind up in a bullshit place. And if you live a real life, you wind up in a real place. Well, this family is destroyed, and these families are destroyed. And when you think about the depth of their destruction and how many years they'll be dealing with this. It's almost like a family now going through a divorce and divorces are more prompted from things like this, financial disasters, death in the families, people going to jail, getting convicted. These are the kinds of things that rip families apart. So dishonesty is the trigger. Dishonesty is the cause. What we're seeing now with all of these families is in fact, the consequence. And if we don't start being honest with our kids, with each other, and if we don't start to have integrity again in these situations, our children are going to grow up to be cheaters and fakes. And that's what these parents were creating. I'll be right back in a minute with Laura Wasser. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. I've learned some big lessons in business, Corey. I'll tell you that. And one of the biggest is if you don't take care of the legal matters that affect your business, you risk everything that you've worked so hard to build. Lawyers are really expensive. Are you going to pay $300 per hour just to chat with a lawyer? No way. Here's a solution for great legal advice at a reasonable cost. BizCouncil.com. BizCouncil gives you a dedicated business attorney for unlimited advice at hugely reduced fees. If you have complex legal work that needs to be done, BizCouncil will reduce the price of that work by at least 50%. Anytime you have a legal question, anytime you go going to sign a contract, anytime you're going to hire or fire people, you can call that lawyer. And for just $59 per month, you have no excuse for not having an outstanding attorney by your side. So sign up today and BizCouncil will give you a free month. Just go to bizcouncil.com slash Taffer and I'll make sure you get that free month of attorney services. Protect your business now. Give yourself some peace of mind. Go to bizcouncil.com. That's B-I-Z-C-O-U-N-S-E-L.com. Well, I spend a lot of time on the road, and these days I try to video conference as much as I possibly can because it saves a lot of travel and it makes me a lot more efficient. And when you Zoom, every day is a little better. Zoom Video Communications, with the web's best-reviewed video conference service, is used by millions to meet one-on-one or hundreds at a time. Zoom Video Conferencing lets you connect face-to-face with anyone across town or across the world with flawless video clear audio, and instant sharing of files, video, or anything. And you can connect through any device, a desktop, laptop, tablet, smartphone, or conference room system. Zoom video conferencing, Zoom rooms, Zoom video webinars, and Zoom phone put state-of-the-art tech right at your fingertips and let you do business at the speed of Zoom. 
Look, if you're not using Zoom video communications, the only question I have for you is why not? I'll make it super easy for you. Visit Zoom online and set up a free account today. Try the most affordable and reliable video communication solution on the market. Meet happy with Zoom. Tapper's back. This is No Excuses with John Tapper. So I had to ask you first, just to start, and you know, obviously, you, you grew up in Beverly Hills. You know, went to great universities. Did you know you wanted to be in family and divorce law when you started? No, no. And keep in mind, or 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 no, my father is a divorce attorney. Has been my entire life. He represented, you know, all the big names in the seventies and eighties: Billie Jean King and Clint Eastwood and Steven Spielberg. So I grew up in that house. I went to the sixteens <laughs> and prom parties and bar and bat mitzvahs, even <laughs> where one or the other of the parents of my friends would say, "Oh." You're Dennis Wasser's daughter. You're at the bad table. So I definitely did not want to be a divorce attorney. I had no interest in it. It's what I grew up with. I thought it was just so boring and lame. And no, never. Um, And then when I went to law school, I still didn't think I would be doing that. I got married after my second year of law school and very quickly realized that that probably wasn't the greatest decision, life decision to have made um, between my second and third year. So right after I took the bar, graduated, um, we split up. And so my Divorce was the first, you know, act I ever did as an attorney. Wow. And then did you just evolve into it? You got a few cases and then a few more and it became a larger percentage of your practice over time? Uh, no, I, I started working for my dad's firm, so it was the entirety of my practice. And even though I thought I would just start doing it, A, to process my own, I had been clerking at like a nonprofit called the Western Law Center for Disability Rights because I was like this, you know, big bleeding heart and I was going to save <laughs> the world by putting, you know, guardrails in public restrooms. Um, I needed the money. So I said, you know, Daddy, can I come work with you? And he said, yeah, you can work with me for the summer until you find something else. You been spent the last you know 25 years telling me you didn't want to do what I do so you know don't plan on that and then I started working at the firm and I found that family law is an amazing field to be in for a myriad of reasons not the least of which it is the most interesting journey and lesson in human nature that I've had over the past 25 years you learn so much about people and from that about yourself and as you've probably seen in this show you just finished about relationships and how people handle things and how people raise their children and just really fascinating. On top of which, at the firm where we are here in Southern California, representing so many really, really interesting people in interesting fields, whether it's in front of the camera, behind the camera, yep. writers, directors, producers, you know, athletes, pop stars, um, you know, everything. I got to be a dilettante in that I learned a little bit about everything and everyone for a short period of time, and then they moved on and went on with their lives. And you get to kind of solve the puzzle while you're in there. And I, I love it. And, and in a sense, you're a defense attorney because you're defending your client, uh, uh, good or bad. You're defending them and trying to secure the best position for them at the end of the process. Uh, isn't it to a certain extent but but what we have always done at this firm and then what I then parlayed into in 2013 a book and then in 2018 an online divorce you know mediation site really is rather than trying to get the best outcome for them 
knowing and teaching them that the best outcome for them is the best outcome for their family. So it may not be the absolute best financial deal that they could have gotten, but what it is is the best deal that they could get keeping as much money in their family as possible and doing as little uh, scorched earth policy as possible. Because remember, unlike any other kind of legal proceeding, you're going to know this person for the rest of your life if you've got kids with them. So you can't just call them all kinds of names, win, lose, draw, and then say, you know, screw you and leave. You're going to continue seeing them at the soccer games and the high school graduation and the wedding and all of these things. So it's not just the best possible settlement. It's the best possible figuring about how to move on to the next chapter. And I think that's what a lot of people don't take into consideration when they're in the middle of it. Very good point. And the fact of the matter is they have to be able to live with each other. There has to be Mm -hmm. a way to put these issues behind them. So I guess your point is if you can really resolve every issue, you start to resolve the emotional issues along the way, at least bring them to closure so they can move on. Yes. And I really do feel like after 25 years, what I've seen is almost in every instance, once it is resolved, once those papers have been signed, for whatever reason, there is a cloud that lifts. There is an ability to then maybe kind of smile at the other person. You don't want to necessarily jump back in the sack with them, but you're able to kind of see the good again. And it's a huge, huge weight that's lifted. And people then can move on to getting along and figuring out, you know, the next steps. It's, it's, It's funny because you gauge what clients you want to take. And for you have an interview process, you don't really want vindictive clients. You're not looking for that. Uh, uh, You're really looking for people who are looking for more of a heartfelt resolution to how to break this up and move forward. Yes. And most people that come see me know that. Like there was a period of time and I sometimes tell you the pit bull, the shark. Most people that are coming to see me are have been given a referral by someone who says she's really resolution oriented. If you're intent on fighting or, you know, really, really hammering her or putting his balls to the wall, this is not the right lawyer for you. And if I'm sitting here in an, in an initial interview and that's what I'm hearing, I say, look, no judgment. But I'm not the right attorney for you, and we're not the right firm for you. And let me send you to one of my colleagues who loves stirring it up and who will love to take your money with every new conflict that is created. They will bill you. That's not what we do. So what are the, what are the phrasing that immediately says, nope, 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 in your mind? <laughs> call it the crazy eyes. You have to be able to see it. I can't, there's, I mean, the phrasing is just how angry they are or how, you know, what they'll say, which is, I just want to fight. Or here's a good one. I'd rather pay you than pay her. That's when I think, oh Jesus. Okay. I mean, you know. (laughs) How about, I don't care how much it costs. I want to crush them. (laughs) That's another one. yes. Yes. Or just completely unrealistic expectations about things like, well, you know, I'm the mom, so I get the kids, you know, the majority of the time, right? Yep. Or, well, I'm not going to have to pay her support because she cheated on me, right? Yeah. And I think, I, what did you guys, who told you this? Where did this come from? <laughs> I'm the mom. I get the house, right? So, so, or, well, I'm the woman, even though I'm the breadwinner. He was supposed to be making money during this time, and he didn't. Get the albatross off from around my neck. I'm not giving him half of everything I earned during our marriage. So... I've seen some interviews with you. Your, some of your stories are absolutely hysterical. I want to tell you one of mine for a second to get a kick out of. I have a friend who's a rock star. I won't mention his name. He's a pretty well-known rock star. And he, he files for divorce papers. And before his wife moved out, she bought him the world's largest comprehensive collection of country music, which he despised. Mm-hmm. And all the boxes were sitting in his living room when she left. You had some amazing stories. One of the best was about a house. 
right, that went into auction. Mm-hmm. And would you tell me that story? Because I only heard bits and pieces of it. Okay, so this is uh, okay. So basically, the couple's been married for twenty some odd years, and they split because he is going to go and be with his much younger and very attractive and accommodating assistant. Okay, classic cliche. Yep. And this woman has owned this house. They raised their kids in this house. She decorated every single room of the house, and now he's buying her out of it because I think when the the, the new couple, husband and assistant, got together. It, one of the times, she said, oh, I just love your house. They had had the company, you know, retreat or something at the house, a, a party. And she said, I love your house. I love the picket fence. I just want that. So one of the deals was them was, I, you know, they're going to, the guy's going to keep his house. So now it's the wife's turn. She's got to move out of the house. And she sits down at her dining room table for the very last time. And she's made herself this bottle of champagne on ice and a full seafood kind of feast. There's crab claws and shrimp and caviar and all kinds of stuff, you know, oysters. And so she eats a bunch of it and she has some champagne and it's her tearful last night in the house. And then she goes around and she puts, well, I'm not going to tell you what she does. So anyway, she cleans up and the next day she moves out of the house and the new couple moves into the house and they're living in the house. And about a week in, she, <laughs> the, the wife, the new, assistant slash new wife is home and it really starts to smell really, really badly. This house is just stinky. And they now go through a process over the next two to three months of having people come in to assess the mold. They have full cleaning. They clean the carpets. They clean (laughs) the drapes. They, they even, I think do a, you know, like a tenting to get rid of any bugs, anything that could be in there should be dead by now and already deteriorated. But for some reason, the stink has not gone away and it's causing friction between this couple. Everything was so great, and everything was so wonderful, and this house is so smelly. Their friends won't come over. His kids won't come visit him there because it smells so bad. It's horrible. Eventually, they list the house. They sell the house for kind of a bargain basement price because it smells so bad, and nobody can explain why. And a week later, the ex-wife comes back. You know, she's bought it in trust, and so it's under a different name. They didn't know. She goes back into her old house, and she goes around to each of the um, hanging curtain rods and takes a stool and goes into each one and cleans each one out because before she left, she put a little caviar, a little oyster, a little shrimp, and the seafood stench in every single room inside of the curtain rods was what was creating the smell. And nobody thought of that. Nobody found it. She cleaned each one out. The house smelled great. She went on to live happily ever after. (laughs) Was that a client of yours? No. I don't know if it's an urban myth or it really happened, but it didn't happen to us. But Subsequent to that story coming out, I did have a couple where the man, and I don't know if it's because he had read this or heard this, but he was going to have to be moving out of the family residence, and he went around, and this is a very wealthy individual that certainly did not need to do this. It was pure spite, went around and literally put old cigarette butts. This is not a person who smoked, so he must have collected cigarette butts from elsewhere. (laughs) Um, Big hairballs, don't know where you can find those, dead fish and scales in the and all around the house, threw away every remote control, but left every TV sitting there, and then bought something which I did not know existed before this, called fart spray and vomit spray that apparently you could buy at like oh party stores, God. and sprayed them around, but then left the bottle sitting there, so everybody knew exactly where it came from. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> and then I heard another one about the wife who took all the labels off the wine. 
that was a client of mine. My client was the, the owner of the wine, and he could not have handled it more elegantly when he found out that this had happened. She steamed every label off every bottle of wine. And these were valuable wines that were now worthless uh-huh. without the label. Unbelievable how, the vindictiveness of people. You know, I yeah. learned that in, in the work that I did for the TV show I just finished, you know, that, that there are really three big but six elements to a successful marriage, you know, and the first is love connection, of course, and the second is significance, and the third is continuity, you know, belief that each other are going to move forward. Uh, 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 what do you, and of course, money falls into some situations. What do you think is the largest factor from what you see? I, I think you're right. I think it's a lack of any of the three of those things. Yes, money problems can cause it. Of course, you know, some kind of a trauma, tragedy, the death of a child, yep. sickness can cause it. You know, a big loss of wealth. Sometimes people say that, you know, couples don't make it through a, a redo of a house, infidelity. But most of those things are caused, obviously not the sickness or death. Right. But many of the other things are caused by a lack of communication. And again, that might be the significance or the continuity portion. If you're not in a position to be able to do kind of weekly at least check-ins, have conversations, continue to communicate about what's going on. If your resentment is just getting smashed down and down and down and down, it's festering and one day it's going to explode and you're going to do something you're going to regret, whether that is cheating, hitting the bottle, saying something horrible, spending too much money on something that you know your spouse would not approve of. Any of those things could be very, very problematic. And so I think people should be doing what we do for our bodies, for their marriages. We go to the gym. We may not always like it, but we feel better afterwards. Communicate. If it's counseling, if it's date night, if it's making sure that you're having regular sex, do those things so that you're checking in with each other as much as possible during the good times as well as the bad times. Because I always say to people, if you're in counseling and you have the tools and the communication skills to be able to connect during the good times, then you'll likely be able to do it during the bad times too. You know, I completely agree. And, and uh, I got divorced 25 years ago and now been married 23 years. So I saw it bad and I saw it good. And it is all communication. Everybody walks in yeah. with such good intentions. Uh, uh, nobody gets married for it not to work. So, so right. uh, uh, the communication is the trick. And, and we all grow. And, and there has to be growth as a couple together. And What do you think? And I got to ask you this question, not only as an attorney, but as one who has seen families be destroyed, wonderful families with wonderful children and a, a great wife and a great husband. And heck, they're great together and the family's great together. And you almost probably scratch your head. You know, why are they getting divorced? It, it almost doesn't seem right with some couples sometimes, I would imagine. When you look at this college admission thing that's going on right now and, and how children have been thrown out of school, mothers have been fired from uh, television and, and, and sponsorship, one daughter lost a sponsorship opportunity with a cosmetic company, and we're watching the decision of parents rip a family to shreds. What do you think when you watch something like that, when, when, when you see some multi-generational impact like this? Because you're so close to the family dynamic and the legalities around the family dynamic, uh, what do you think about what's going on? I think it's really scary. I think it's scary on both ends. I think it's scary that people were able to kind of get into that slippery slope. I really think when they were doing it, they probably, and again, I don't 
to the extent that I know any of these people, we have not spoken about this. Yep. I would imagine that they've said, I'm doing this for the best of my kids. I'm doing this because I love my kids. I don't think that they thought to themselves, I love my children and therefore I'm going to break the law. I think that so many, I mean, somebody the other day said to me, there's a difference between, you know, ethical, you know, unethical and elitism. And and I don't know how I feel about that either, to be honest with you, but people have been making contributions to schools or buying libraries or wings or whatever for years to ensure that their children will have a place at that school. I don't think these people really thought through the fact that what they were doing was a step worse than that because it's illegal. It's illegal. Yeah. And I also wonder what the dynamic was between them and their children what was happening. Generally, what I've been hearing and reading is that the kids weren't aware. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if that's the case because I have to imagine, I mean, I remember when I was applying to college, I knew what every transcript looked like. I may not have seen the letters of recommendation that my teachers wrote, but I knew which ones wrote them. I knew what would said on my applications. Yep, I too. knew what my test scores were. Me God, too. I think I still do. <laughs> So, I mean, I don't know if it's just removed or if mom and dad said, we got this, you don't need to worry about it. I certainly would know if I wasn't on a team or wasn't ranked where I was saying I was being ranked. Yes. So, and I know that they were minors at the time. I get all of that. I just think it's a real question as to what kind of a message was being sent to the kids. And it's very easy for all of us on the other side of it to be so holier than now and say this, but we all do things for our kids. If we're offered an opportunity, maybe we don't stop and think enough about how to do it. And then I think about what has gone on in terms of the funding and the federal, you know, gone into looking into this and the investigations and what is going to happen, because I don't know that they can just let them off with a fine, because that doesn't, doesn't that kind of beg the question of if you're rich, you can just get off. So are these mothers going to do jail time? I don't know. There must be some grand scheme of this, I hope, other than just setting an example, but I'm not sure what it is. I think it's just a really, really sad commentary on where we are right now in our culture. It is, you know, it's almost that moving line of what, or, or, or how far do we go? We all do stuff mm-hmm. for our kids. You know, and when we sure. call each other as favors, listen, I'm calling for my kid, uh, that means something. And we'll make phone calls for our children we won't make for ourselves all the time, of course. And even as favor givers, we're very quick to do favors for our friends' kids. But, mm-hmm. you know... Uh, I have many friends that have bought buildings in universities and done public contributions and endowments and various things, and their kids are considered, and it's very public, their name's on a darn building. So right. this has been going on, of course, you know that, since since the beginning of, un- of time, universities have had contributors and donors who've, who've Families have gotten special consideration because they want those families and a legacy connected to them on a multi-generational basis, so it's justified. But when suddenly they're photoshopping photographs in sports they've never played and putting together fake test scores, somehow this intention, which starts as, I want to leverage everything I've got to help my children into, wow, I'm committing fraud to help my children, is, is you're right, really scary. And remember, at all of these, there was a conduit. There was some professional person in the middle of this that was telling them this is how it's done. These people yeah. weren't coming up with it on their own. So again, no. another another link in that slippery slope and that moving line that you're talking about of, well, it must be okay because this guy's telling me it's okay. He's he's gotten three of my friends' kids into school. So yeah. uh, you know, I don't know that they all were making this decision. I grew up, you know, in a house with two attorneys as parents. When I would have friends over and we would be like sneaking a drink from one of the bottles in the bar or when we'd have parties and there were kids drinking beer, my, my parents would say, you can't do this because it's illegal. 
Yep. Not because it's wrong or because you're too young. It's illegal. We yep. can't do it because it's illegal. So now whenever I think about doing something, if it might be questionable ethically, my, my you know, compass is, is it legal? Yeah. And I have to imagine that that's not the way everybody thinks, and they may not really. They must think, well, it's legal if this guy's telling me to do it. Yeah. What's sad is the children, even if they were were, were knowing about it, uh, uh, they were led down a path where even yeah. they thought that other parents do this. This is maybe normal. And uh, I'm with you. I don't think any bad judgment should come upon the children, even if they knew, because I think they were guided down a path. And I think one of the daughters didn't even really want to go to the darn college in the first place. So, right. So, so, but it's a fascinating family story of how yeah. a choice of a mom and this could impact impact this family for another generation after the one that we're looking at now. And it's, mm-hmm. it's deep. It's deep. Where do you think the American marriage goes? Because now, you know, incidents of children are lower, right? A lot of families, mm-hmm. a, lot, a, a lot of people are not getting married. A lot of career women are not getting married. And if they are, they're not having children. A lot of men uh, take the same attitude. So, you know, population statistics are down a little. I guess divorce statistics are, are, are up a little bit. Where do you think? Do you think the institution of marriage changes over the next 30 to 40 years in any great way? I'm going to say I hope so. And don't get me wrong. I love marriage. I love a good wedding. Um, I love that commitment. I definitely think that depending on your circumstances, I I don't like the idea of just cookie cutter law. So if I am talking to somebody who's getting married, I would think about what the facts of their situation are and maybe deviate from the law in their state by having a prenuptial agreement. Again, Mm -hmm. communication, clarity, expectations, having those discussions. Um, You know, People tell me that, you know, with the website, it's over easy. And with the podcast, I'm making it too easy for people to get divorced. I totally disagree with that. People are going to get divorced if they're going to get divorced. And if they're not happy in their marriages, particularly if they have children, maybe they shouldn't stay married. I would rather my kids see a happy single parent than unhappy married parents, especially if the single parents know how to co-parent and get yep. along. Yep. Um, so I don't know what happens to American divorce, but I, I mean, to American marriage, but I hope that with regard to American divorce, we can begin to approach it differently than we have for at least the 25 years I've been practicing. It is staggering how little the law has changed. It is staggering how little the perception has changed, how many people still come in and don't know what the law is, the marriage contract that they entered into however many years ago, and really do approach it from a position of anger and hatred and failure as opposed to this happened. We have these kids that we're responsible for together. We can be each other's best backup plan, co-parent, you know, family member without sleeping in the same bed every night. And how do we do that in a way that has the next generation, as you were speaking about, really being healthy, well adjusted individuals. I mean, I spoke yesterday at Loyola Law School and a young woman came up to me. So she's got to be at least 25 years younger than I am. And she said, oh my God, my parents had a horrible divorce five years ago when I was in college. I read your book. It saved me. It's the reason I came here to go to Loyola Law School. I'm so interested in becoming a family law attorney. I'm so interested in working with It's Over Easy. Can I write an article for you? Now, obviously, personally, gratifying. That was huge. Like, yes, I've actually moved the needle and helped one person. But on a grander scale, how is it that 
even, you know, a person that's 25 years younger than me, her parents were going through the same kind of divorce that my friend's parents were going through when I was in high school and college. I mean, that's not right. And that has a little bit to do with family law practitioners, maybe not handling the right way, but also the dearth of information that was before available, either online or, or discussions about it. People are not really interested in discussing divorce unless it's happening to them. And then they, that's all they want to talk about. But by that time, you don't have a community around that's able to do it with you unless you're in one of those clusters where everybody gets divorced at the same time and that does happen. So I would like to change the way people approach it because I think that that will make for a healthier society and maybe healthier marriages too. It's interesting that you say that because in a business contract, there would be exit clauses, right? And transitional yes. requirements. I mean, all that stuff would be part of a business partnership if you and I had one. So you'd think it would be part of a personal partnership as well. Uh, yes. that, that thing, Those things would be defined as part of the marriage agreement. Yeah, that's fascinating. To well, they actually way. are, but people don't realize it, John. The thing is, when you get married, you are entering into a contract. And even though you have a contract for your cake maker and your dress and your string quartet and your flower <laughs> florist, everybody else, you don't even know the terms of the contract you're entering into. And you don't know whether or not you like them. Wow. You know, when I grew up, my dad died when I was two and my mother got divorced two more times before I was nine. So I went through a divorce when I was about five and it was ugly. I mean, ugly mm-hmm. or, you know, a ripped clothes and a police coming for a fight. Oh, boy. And then I went through another one when I was about seven, which was also violent and, and family had to come and, and both were, were freaking ugly as hell. And then when I was nine, my mother married another man who adopted me and I had a wonderful life after that. But so I grew up going through two ugly divorces. So when I had a marriage problem... 25 years ago, and the decision I made with my ex-wife back then was I was going to get divorced. I hired one lawyer, and the two of us, I signed waivers, <laughs> and at the time, we hired one attorney. I had a young daughter, wanted no issues at all with anyone, and, and we found a way to get through it together. Uh, uh, and, you, of course, you as an attorney probably would not advise that, uh, and I'm not sure I would advise it to anyone myself even going through it. But at the time, it really worked well for us, and, and, and we talked it through, and we ended, and, and we're still a tight family because of it. And you know, That's the way to do it. That is the way to do it. That's why I always say mediation. And, again, family law in most states, even though the forms are very complicated, the laws themselves, as they pertain to child custody, as they pertain to support, child and spousal, and as they pertain to division of assets, are not that complicated. It's like this big, you know, Wizard of Oz behind the curtain thing that a lot of, you know, family law attorneys are doing. And not in a bad way. We're specialists in our field. We certainly deserve to be paid for our services. That being said, if people were to actually take a moment and do a little bit of educating themselves about what the law is, in most instances, they can sit down and work it out. Maybe with the help of somebody that's a Scrivener that writes it up. I mean, don't you know what your nine-year-old son and 13-year-old daughter need and want and what their schedule is better than any lawyer or certainly any judge that has two seconds to read over your file and get into it? Of course. <laughs> so wouldn't it be best for them and you if you sat down and wrote it out on a legal pad and then had somebody you know put it into a document that could be a court order? Yep. So if I was as a young person, I'm, I'm getting ready to get married, guy or girl, doesn't matter, uh, 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 a traditional couple or non-traditional couple, uh, uh, what is your advice to them uh, before they, before they uh, go down the process? 
first find out what the law is in your state. Not everybody is down with the idea that every dollar they make is going to be 50% theirs and 50% the other person's as soon as they get married, at least in community property states like California. Not every person likes the idea that just because they've walked down the aisle and exchanged rings, if one of them is working or making more money than the other, he or she will have to write a support check to the other if and when they split up. I mean, again, I lived with somebody for five or six years. We split up. It was nice to meet you. It was good being with you. You go on and earn your living. I go on and earn my living. Why am I writing him a check every month? Now, if you have kids with them, that's a whole other body of law. And I guess that at some point, if you're thinking about procreating, you should think about that. But as a young (laughs) couple getting married, learn what the laws are in your state. And then decide whether you're cool with those laws or you want to deviate from those laws. And I think you also, beyond the laws, should be having conversations that may not be the most sexy or romantic conversations about what your expectations are regarding other things. My elderly parents, are they going to come live with us or are we putting them in one of those places on Fairfax that smell always a little bit like burnt chicken? <laughs> and um, our kids, if we're going to have kids, are we going to put them in you know, parochial school, private school, public school? How much are we putting aside every year for vacations? How much are we putting aside for retirement? How do you feel about me going back to work after I've had kids? What happens if I don't inherit the money that I've always been told I was going to inherit? Talk about some of these things. People don't like to talk about money, particularly women. Oh, we can yeah. talk. Don't talk. Don't talk about money. But this We'd rather talk about a yeast ad- infection than talk about money. <laughs> this is such good advice, though. If you don't have these conversations uh, uh, ahead of time, then a little decision can become a huge deal, and you really yes, do you need to understand mind, expectations. You can say, "Oh my God, I'm such a working girl. I'm always going to work, even if we have." babies. I'm, I'm home three months maternity leave. I'm out the door again. And then all of a sudden you have the baby and you go, oh, I couldn't possibly leave. He's so cute. Look at him. That's okay. Sure. It's okay. But you need to continue having the conversation because now the expectation has changed and there has to be an adjustment. Yep. Absolutely. So you have two young boys. Yes. And uh, what would your advice to them? Would you require they had a prenup before they got married? I don't know. It depends. I mean, it really depends. They're they're 13 and 9, so I'm not that concerned about it yet. (laughs) But I will tell you that there's a lot of conversation that goes on in our household with all of us. I mean, we're we're a talking family, so we talk about how we feel about things. And remember, I wasn't, or no, I wasn't married to either one of their dads. So their marriage isn't really in their whole, you know, thing. Like, I remember when my 13-year-old was in kindergarten, um, somebody said, like, well, something about your, your parents' marriage, and he said, oh, my mom's not married. And, and somebody said, well, why isn't she married? And he said, that's just not how she rolls. <laughs> so that's what they know. They still talk about getting married sometimes. I mean, I, don't, you know, I think maybe little girls talk about it more than little boys, but they talk about having kids. I wouldn't insist on anything. I already know at 13 and 9, I'm in no position to insist on anything. I can barely get them to put down, you know, Fortnite, so I have no idea how to get them to do anything else. But depending on when they got married, what they were earning, who they were marrying, I certainly might, like, say, hey, I could give you the friends and family rate if you'd like me to draft a prenup for you, my friend. (laughs) (laughs) So question, uh, uh, how many couples have come back to you years later and say, we want to get remarried? Has that happened? 
It has happened. Um, not many. What has happened more frequently is at some point during the process when we're negotiating, and even in one instance when we were done, we actually had a judgment that they did not end up signing because they got back together. Um, I haven't had, I know the firm has, I think probably more people in my dad's generation have had people that come back a few years later and get remarried. And of course, I've heard about it happening. Yeah. But for the most part, it's people that are somewhere in the process, you know, a year in, maybe it's not moving very fast, and somehow they started looking better to each other, and they got back together. More frequently, somebody will come back, sometimes it's the other party, and say, um, I really liked how you worked on our divorce. Would you be willing to do a prenup for me the in next my next time. marriage? Yeah, I'm not going to make that mistake again, right? right. <laughs> yeah. It makes perfect sense. You know, when we think about our responsibilities in life to our kids, to our spouses, to our family members, if we don't do that, we're really letting a lot of people down. The parents get in the middle of it because uh, it's divorce time and things aren't defined or they don't know where they're going to send their children to school or all of these disagreements now involve family members. They involve uh, siblings, right? It becomes a, a, an ordeal that is, is not only irresponsible to, to yourself if you don't plan that way, but to all the family members and people around you. So, you mm-hmm. know, to me, the, the biggest takeaway of our conversation is understanding that we need to talk about these things before we get into it, have a great understanding, respect each, other, respect each other's growth when we do change our mind, but understand that if we don't do those things, our parents, our in-laws, our kids, and everybody around us pays a price as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so getting married has to be done responsibly. What a novel idea. What do you think, Laura? <laughs> so many people say, God, it was so easy to get married, and it's so much harder to get divorced. Or like there's that scene from Parenthood with Keanu Reeves where he says, you need a license to fish, you need a license to drive, you know, <laughs> but you need a license to have a dog, but any butt-reaming asshole can become a parent. Now, again, you may need a license to get married, but that's certainly not a difficult one to get. There's no premarital counseling that is a necessity, except sometimes with regard to religion. Sometimes you'll have to meet with a rabbi or a priest before you can actually get married in their institution. But but for that, anybody can just go get married. Yeah, it's true. And it's funny, my wife isn't Jewish, I am. And when we decided to get married, we wanted to have a, a, a priest or a minister and a rabbi. So we went to the priest. He says, no, 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 you got to convert. I won't do it. We went to the rabbi. He said, $400. <laughs> 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 that, was, that was the way that one went. So we, but uh, you know, I, I've got to tell you, uh, this has been a delight to talk to you. And when people want to get married or they're having issues, you have some great reference places where they can go, some websites uh, uh, and your podcast. Tell people where they can find find you and and your advice so me and my advice i'm i have um a website called it's over easy we've got a ton of content the divorce sucks podcast on podcast one you can find it on itunes apple um and again laura wasser official is my instagram facebook twitter but most of the stuff that we talk about as it pertains to relationships and and marriage and divorce and co-parenting is on It's Over Easy. So please go there. There's also a book that I wrote in 2013 called It Doesn't Have to Be That Way. 
Friday, and I'm writing another one now, and when it comes out, I'll, I'll let you know about it, John. Uh, that'll be great. And for anybody, I was there this morning, by the way. I was on your pages and looking. This is all about positive. This is all about things you can do to move forward and make this a better experience. This is not negative stuff, how to dig in, how no. to fight, how this to win. This is good. This is, this is resources, information, because I don't think there was enough of that. And on our website, in addition to being able to you know, pay and purchase the forms and we'll help you fill them out and go through it. There's also like an entire provider directory called the index for all kinds of other people that I realize after doing this for so long, you may need, whether it's somebody to help you with a qualified domestic relations order or mm. finding new insurance, health or, or driver's license, uh, driver's insurance, or even life insurance, people that can help you find a house, get a mortgage, financial planners, child caregivers, um, dating applications, somewhere where you can sell your engagement ring and get some money to start some kind of a new venture. All of these things, including the best spray tan in your neighborhood, will be on that app so that you can get back into the swing of things and start your next chapter. Wow. Well, that's a great resource. And it's, it's a you're really making a difference for people who are at a very tough emotional and personal spot. And, I hope so. Yeah, and that's a wonderful thing. You can go to bed at night knowing that, that you're making a difference. Hopefully you're making a few bucks along the way, but you're making a difference. And, and i got to leave you with, with, with something that's a bit humorous. When you were a young girl, did you have Barbies? Yes. Did you ever see the divorce Barbie? <laughs> no. The divorce Barbie came we with all... We need to get one. Oh, she comes with Ken's, Ken's house. And yes, she came right? with Ken's house and Ken's I'm clothes. And, uh, <laughs> Lord, this was a pleasure. Uh, 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 thanks for taking the time. And, and you know, I think you gave a lot of people, particularly young people about to get married, something to really think about. Marriage is big business. It's one of the most important yep. decisions we make in our lives. You need to treat it that way. You need to treat it like big business. You need to plan. You need to talk. And, and you need to make the right decisions as someone who's informed, who knows what your, your future partner wants in life to make sure that you can give it to them. And uh, uh, <laughs> happiness goes both ways in a marriage. It doesn't work one way. It's got to work for both. Totally agree. Thank you for having me. When you think about a war who has to deal with people in the most difficult of situations, they're vindictive, they're emotional, they're filled with hate, they're hurt, they feel insignificant. And to be able to counsel those people to a great resolution. <laughs> I think we should all send her to Washington. What do you think, Corey? Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she can get them to some kind of a resolution. I think so. <laughs> we'll be right back with audience calls. Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. If you're a bar owner, want to become a bar owner, if you're an operator or a mixologist, you can't afford not to attend a nightclub and bar show. All the new products will be there, thousands of new promotions, the best operators in the world, about 80 educational programs. It's the biggest opportunity of the year to boost your sales or to get into the bar business. And by the way, I'm doing a keynote and opening the show. If you want to go to the nightclub and bar show, check out ncbshow.com. That's ncbshow.com. If you want to be in a bar business or be successful in a bar business, you'll be at the nightclub and bar show. Shut it down! All right, John. New week and new callers. Let's get Shut it. it down! We have Dax from beautiful BC, and he's a young 20-year-old entrepreneur that has actually opened up his own pizza restaurant. Dax, how you doing, man? Pretty good. How about you? Good, thanks. You're up in BC, huh? Yeah. So what do you want beautiful to talk about? BC. Yeah, beautiful BC. I agree with you. It is beautiful up there. <laughs> I used to go up to Prince George all the time. I was involved in a nightclub up there for many years. Oh, that's sweet. 
Yeah, I'll move it up there. So uh, what's your question? What do you want to talk about today? Um, well, I was actually wanting to see if, like, I'm 20 years old and I, I opened a restaurant um, in West Kelowna. Uh-huh. And I'm just wanting to, like, learn or, like, get to know or, like, learn about how, how to be a better boss or be a better leader. Sure. You know, it, yeah. it's interesting that you, when people like yourself are younger, they always feel that, you know, there's people working around them that are older. And you always worry, you know, am I being respected because I'm younger than them? You know, that they're the greatest bosses of all always lead by example. You know, so so you got to come in first, be the last one to leave, and you just got to lead by example. You got to do everything right all the time so that the people around you respect what you do and how you do it. And that's where leadership comes from. Leadership comes from people respecting what you do and how you do it. And through that respect, they follow you. So lead by example, buddy. Be the best. You know, fight for quality. Make it clean. Sweep the floor yourself. Clean the toilet yourself. When people see you leading by example, that's a leader. That's what creates strength. And watch what happens when you do that. Everybody will try to be as good as you, which makes you the leader. Make sense? Yeah. Anyway, I'm proud of you, buddy. 20 years old, you opened your own pizza restaurant. Congratulations. I wish you a lot of luck, Dax. Take care, buddy. Yeah. All right, John, we have Brian from New York. He has a couple questions. How are you, Brian? Hey, great. It's an honor to talk to you, Mr. Taffer. Thank you, buddy. Call me John. No worries at all. Where are you in New York? Uh, I'm right now. I'm in Astoria. I raised home uh, so I can make sure I'm in a quiet place to talk to you. But I'm actually a teacher, high school teacher on the Upper West Side. Gotcha. So you're in Astoria, Queens right now. I, I grew up not very far from there. So, Brian, I, I, I see in your note that you're a photography and film teacher, which is uh, uh, awesome. Yeah. So you're big in visual arts, right? Communications, mm-hmm. obviously. Is. And you were asking about, you know, career advice for high school students. Right. You know, John Lennon once said that life is what happens when you make other plans. And, you know, did you know that you were going to be a photography and film teacher when you were 17? Uh, you know, no, I, I, I didn't. And um, I was open to it, though. And um, I thought I should try to uh, to do it also. You know? So there's a lesson. Um, and it's interesting. There's a lesson in that very thing. Fact of the matter is you did not know what you wanted to do when you were 17 or 16. You need to make your students comfortable with that. What happens is they freak out when they graduate and they don't know what they want to do. But most of us don't yet. So they can't, they don't have to choose a path for life. They just have to choose a path for now. A path that gives them growth. A path that gives them an opportunity to increase their network of friends and people they respect and mentors. A path that moves them from a line level to a manager. A path that gives them more creative energies or more knowledge or more experience. That's all they're choosing now. And I think what happens is sometimes we put too much pressure on these high school students leaving, thinking that they have to make a decision right now that's going to weigh on the rest of their lives. And that's heavy, Brian. That scares the hell out of them. They don't need to do that. Just make a decision that feels right now. Go get a job that you enjoy now. Do something that you enjoy now and see where it takes you. Because look where yours took you. 
you wound up obviously enjoying photography and film, and, and obviously you love what you do, or we wouldn't be talking here today. I think the greatest well, lesson we can give them is you don't have to hurry. Get out of school. Do what you enjoy work-wise. Of course, I'm not saying be a bum. Do what you need to do work-wise. If the food industry catches you, go work in a restaurant. If you like to work in communications, go get a job at an entry level at a radio station. Find something that excites you and understand that it's not a decision for life. You'll probably wind up moving to other things. But if you can grow the next two years and learn about yourself the next couple years, that's all you should be doing. Fair? Yeah, that's great advice. So we got to take some of the pressure off them and let them be themselves and grow into it at their own pace rather than tell them, man, you got to know you're graduating in four months. What are you going to do? What are you going to (laughs) do? Exactly, exactly. I mean, I definitely try to like, like, you know, in class, I try to tell them, look, this class is just for you to, you know, discover what you like about photography, what you like about filmmaking. If you don't like it, that's fine. You, that's, and that's, and you learn you have to look for another interest. I'm, I definitely try to not put pressure on them. And there's a lot of things you can do with photography. You know, you can be a very different type of photographer. It, everybody gets excited by different things. They got to try those things, Brian, to see what excites them. They don't want to lock themselves in when they're 18 years old. Anyway, good talk. Thanks for calling. It was it was enjoyable. Thanks Share this time. with your students. I'd love to uh, 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 take some of that pressure off them, right? Definitely. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. You too. Take care. Listen, I'd really love it if you'd be on the show. You can challenge me, argue with me, disagree with me, agree with me, whatever you like. But the more challenging, the better. Just send an email to podcast at johntaffer.com, podcast at johntaffer.com. Corey will open those emails. He'll set it up with you. And then you and I will talk on a podcast and we'll have some fun. And by the way, while you're at it, don't forget to hit subscribe at Apple Podcasts or go to podcast.com or the Podcast One app and you'll get your new episodes every Tuesday. Want to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Man, if there's an underlying theme of this podcast, it's honesty, isn't it? I mean, being corrupt catches up with you. There's no question about it. We saw it. No matter who you are, no matter how much power you have, when you do something like that, it's going to haunt you the rest of your life because you never know, Corey, when it's going to pop up, do you? Nope. 20 years later, you're freaking disgraced because of a decision that you made so, so long ago. And that's what happened to these families. Well, you know, talking to Laura Wass, it's nice to know that there's divorce attorneys out there who come at it so constructively, so positively. So, you know, it's fascinating to see these people go through this struggle, but it's also painful. You don't want anybody to go through anything like this. So the simple answer is, why don't we just be straight with each other? And this stuff doesn't happen. It's all completely avoidable. Next week, I got a great guest, Jeff Hudson, who's reinventing small business. If you've ever wanted to open a small business, dream of opening a small business, just did open a small business, or if you have a small business and you want to grow it and open other locations or just make it bigger, do not miss next week's podcast. I'll be here with Jeff Hudson, and I'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on PodcastOne.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review. 
If you like my show, you're going to love the Dan Abrams podcast on Podcast One. Join the renowned lawyer and host of Sirius's XM POTUS 124 as he analyzes the biggest news stories of the day from a legal perspective with a panel of experts, one-on-one interviews with top newsmakers, and listener phone calls. Download the Dan Abrams podcast every week on Podcast One. I do.